So when I first became a Christian, um, I did this thing where I thought what Jesus wanted me to do. I had this, I always loved music, and I had this incredible collection of about 200, 300 CDs, um, especially like right there. I was into classic rock and, and that 90s grunge, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, that whole deal. And I had an incredible, I mean, like by, any, by anyone's standards, I had an incredible collection and I did that thing, maybe that, and you probably didn't have CDs, but maybe you did that thing where you became a Christian or, or felt convicted and you got rid of all your secular music. And I did that thing. And part of me wrestles with, I still to this day wrestle with, I think I would do it differently. But is what I did a good thing or not? Was it really following Jesus to sort of say, I'm going to, Jesus, you're more important than music, which of course we want to say Jesus takes priority. We get that as Christians. But did it really mean, did it have to look like getting rid of sort of secular music? What we're talking about tonight is this idea of pop culture reimagined. You know, we, we talked last week about, we're, we're doing this series called Relationships Reimagined. And we're saying, we're entering into that part where we're saying God has given you four kinds of relationships. He's given you a relationship with himself. He's given us a relationship with one another. God, people. He's given us a relationship with a place. We live in a culture and a time. That's what we're starting to look at tonight. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at things. He's given us a relationship to, to food. He's given us a relationship to work and rest. But the question we're asking tonight is, how do we as Christians relate to pop culture? Uh, are, there certain, are, are there certain shows we should or shouldn't watch? Are there certain bands we should or shouldn't listen to? So tonight we're kind of doing what I'm calling is pop culture reimagined, DC talk or girl talk, what's a Christian to do? And um, the passage I want to look at is from uh, Acts 17, and, uh, and it's Paul, and it's a classic passage because it's Paul, and Paul himself said, I became all things to all men, but that by all means I might win some for the gospel. And here's Paul, and he's in the cultural center. It would be like New York City. He's in Areopagus in Greece. And he's, he's, trying to, he's talking with uh, sort of their cultural leaders about the gospel. And here's uh, Acts 17. It's in your bulletin, 22 to 34. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What, therefore, you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us for, and he begins to quote they're actually their own bands and their own poets, and he says, In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he himself, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among those who also were Dionysius, Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let me pray for us, and we're going to get into it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you that you, uh, by your word, you pierce our, heart, you pierce our hearts. And your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Pray that we do that tonight. And Lord, I pray, especially as we think about how you call us as Christians to relate to culture around us, um, that you would give us wisdom. 
Lord, we need it. Uh, we need wisdom and grace. Uh, Lord, forgive us for the ways we are um, needlessly offensive. Forgive us for the ways that we are um, foolishly removed and try to do the holy huddle thing. Lord, I pray that, uh, Jesus, even as you prayed for us, that you would not take us out of the world, but that you would sanctify us uh, in your truth and that you would make us salt and light. And, uh, Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're using Beyonce lyrics to kind of frame each one. Tonight, uh, the song is Deja Vu, and here's what she says in Deja Vu. Know that I can't get over you because everything I see is you, and I don't want no substitute. Baby, I swear it's Deja Vu. Know that I can't get over you because everything I see is you, and I don't, know what, I don't want no substitute. Baby, I swear it's deja vu. The reason I was thinking about that particular song is part of what I'm going to tell you and and part of what I'm going to argue about when we think about especially pop culture is that God's truth is inescapable. Uh, God's truth, all truth is God's truth is one of the ways that we say it uh, that's memorable. All truth is God's truth. And part of what I'm going to say is we find truth. We find truth about God. We find truth about us in pop culture. But I want to sort of lay out for us what I think. But we also have this tension here. Some of us have grown up in, in, cult, in, in youth groups and, and in churches where you did what I did, where you were sort of told, you know, it's actually, it's, maybe it's not uh, satanic to sort of watch or listen to these things, but at least it's sub-Christian. And so I, I remember getting to college and literally as a freshman, you know, I'd sold my sophomore year of college is when I sold that incredible collection. And I was smart. I didn't trash it and I didn't burn it, which some of my friends did, but I actually sold it so that I could buy Christian music. And I had a really hard time finding good Christian music, and I've told you sort of some of my feelings in that. And, um, but I did try my hardest to find, like, decent music that I could actually listen to, you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard in the Christian world sometimes. And, but that's what I did, so I listened only to Christian music. But I was the kid who came to college, and I literally would ask people within the first five minutes, uh, what, do you, what kind of bands do you listen to? And they would, you know, say, like, Dave Matthews or Third Eye Blind, and I would be like, ha. I only listen to Christian bands. And what I was saying was, I'm a better Christian because I don't listen to secular music. And, uh, and, and now I would say that was proud. But the question we're asking tonight was, you know, how do we deal with, you know, sort of some of these things, shows and movies and, and, and songs? And so what I want to think about is how do we relate to pop culture? And that's what I want to do. I want to sort of do three things uh, as we think about this topic. One is even typical evangelical or common reactions to this idea. Second, some theological reflections that I think are behind some of those ideas. And then lastly, some really practical applications that I'm going to sort of urge you and me to in light of all this. Okay, so evangelical reactions, theological reflections, and then practical applications as we come to think about pop culture and how we as Christians relate to it. First, let's kind of just get our bearings and sort of say, what do I mean by pop culture? And here's what I mean. There's an article by a guy named Ted Turnell called Reflecting Theologically in Popular Culture. Here's what he says. It says, popular culture then is simply this type of network of texts by which we understand our world when those texts reach many people in a society. Popular simply stresses the fact that this type of culture is shared by most of the people in any given society, whether the texts involved are cartoons, tribal rituals, shopping malls, radio hits, or whatever. Pop culture is simply meaningful texts and behaviors that affect many people. In other words, the texts with the largest demographic impact on society. So another way of saying it, one simple, simple way to define pop culture is what all of your friends in all of America and everyone on campus is listening to, watching, doing, going to. Does that make sense? So sort of the question is, how, how do we as Christians, we know, we said last week, that we know that we're, as Christians, supposed to relate differently not only to God. We have a new relationship with God. We know we now have a new relationship with one another. But it also gives us a new relationship with, th- with these things, with what we listen to, what we watch, where we go, etc., etc. That's what I mean by pop culture. 
And here's sort of point one, evangelical reactions. Here are sort of the three main ways that we as Christians throughout the, our history have kind of responded to them, okay? Here are the three that typically have even, you know, fit in your or my experience. Here's the first. Here's the first. I'm just going to call it the how can you watch slash listen to that reaction? How can you call yourself a Christian and watch Dexter? How can you call yourself a Christian and listen to Little Wayne? How can you, and we're going to argue, I'm actually going to argue about that in a little bit. Uh, think about um, Dana Carvey. If you know SNL, there was a skit growing up uh, in the 80s when I was growing up where Dana Carvey did this thing called The Church Lady. And all he did was, was he was like a host of this like fake sort of Christian show where she would, you know, the church lady would interview guests. And all she would do is just blast people and call things satanic and call things just like the worldly and the worst. And sometimes that's the kind of places we grew up in where anything secular, anything that's sort of pop culture and not explicitly Christian becomes sort of uh, the worst or becomes either, like I said, satanic and the, at the worst end of the spectrum or in the least end of the spectrum becomes less Christian. It's something that mature Christians don't do, okay? That's one of the reactions we can sort of think of. And this can come from two places. This can come from a place either of self-righteousness, like I described myself, part of why I thought that was important, only listening to Christian music and not listening to secular music, was I was, being, I was depending on something I was doing for my standing before God. And if you listen to any at all to the songs we sing, like we just sang, Come You Sinners. And you remember that line? It's a key line. The only fitness he requires is to not listen to secular music. The only fitness he requires is to not watch certain TV shows. The only fitness he requires is to not... You fill in the blank. That's not what it says. It says the only fitness he requires is to what? Feel your need of him. That's what undoes self-righteousness, by the way. What undoes self-righteousness is you feel your need of him. Uh, you don't feel better than anyone. And you, you know that just as much as anyone, you need Jesus, right? So but this can come from self-righteousness, but it also can come from what I want to call a misinformed conscience. Listen, if you've grown up your whole life and your parents were super strict parents, and they were sort of like I had friends growing up who anytime, anytime one of my friends would bring home like Pearl Jam or would bring home just like Britney Spears, the dad would like break the CD, you know, just like break the CD in front of them. And it was kind of like, do you realize what you're doing to your daughter? Like, she's going to go crazy in college because of this. And some of you, that's your story, where you're like, your parents were so strict. You know, you know, it's one of the things we like to say is, when you begin to forbid what the Bible doesn't forbid, you'll inevitably begin to allow what the Bible doesn't allow. And that's exactly what happened to some of you. You know, if your parents forbid what the Bible doesn't forbid, because the Bible has all kinds of songs that talk about, like, sex within marriage. Like, that's a song in the Bible. The Bible has songs that are sort of like about you know, murder in these weird, sad ways. And, but sometimes we want a tamer version of that. And so some of our, especially some of our parents or churches, we sort of, in trying to guard us and shield us, they said, don't listen to, watch, or go to these places, right? Or wear these things. Um, so it can come from a misinformed conscience, right? And this is, in this scheme, though, the how can you watch, listen to, or do that, uh, we can call pop culture equals the devil. So that's the first sort of common evangelical reaction. Well, here's the second this is sort of my favorite because it, it has some weight in especially reform circles. And this one I just want to call the uh, I don't have a TV because I read react, uh, response. Um, and this is becoming a little more popular, especially if, uh, if you watch. There are these interviews that sometimes John Piper and Mark Driscoll will do. And Driscoll is all for pop culture. And John Piper is more the guy who sort of says, I don't have a TV because it's a waste of time because I want to read. Now, listen, I understand Listen, I understand that if you're in this camp, you're sort of like, TV, huh, let's go outdoors. 
I don't really understand you because I am not outdoorsy, I'm indoorsy, I'm an avid indoorsman. But the other thing I don't understand is it's a little bit belittling. It's sort of saying watching a show, you know, watching New Girl or listening to, you know, Mumford and Sons, although they're kind of cool in Christian circles, which I, that's another story. I could do a whole sermon, a whole sermon series on what's the worst about Mumford and Sons. But, yeah, you heard me. So, but it sort of belittles it. And some of this is in the name of pursuing what you could call high culture. So it's funny, like if you talk to people, or if you're in this camp, it's funny how you'll, you'll love to do like classical music, but like, you know, like poop on anything that like plays on 104.7. And, and so there's sort of this dichotomy where you kind of, pop culture isn't necessarily the devil, but it's beneath you. Another way of saying it is pop culture, if it's not the devil, it's a distraction. It distracts you from Jesus or it distracts you from being as mature a Christian as you could be, okay? Um, that's pretty common to you. That it sort of inhibits or, 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 or blocks your pursuit of holiness is another way of saying it. Here's the third one. Here's the third one that I see. These, by the way, are, I think, incomplete reactions. We're going to talk about. I'm going to give you sort of my view as we go. But um, here's the third one. Is that this is one I think sometimes that I can be guilty of and some of y'all can be guilty of. Is this one's the, you've, what, you've never seen or listened to that reaction? Like you've never heard of that show or you've never heard of that band? Um, if you watch uh, Portlandia at all, there's, there's this great skit in Portlandia where there's, it's, it's called uh, Have You Read This skit. And all they do is like in this ridiculous way, have you read this, have you read this, have you read this, have you read that? And they do it in such a way where it, just, it gets ridiculous and ridiculous and ridiculous. And it's funny because it's sometimes what we do. Have you, it's almost like we, if pop culture is it's not the devil and it's not a distraction, then it becomes a sort of a badge of distinction. So in other words, watching something makes us feel cool as Christians. Or listening to something makes us feel cool. So that's why we do, like, share it on Facebook. This is why I share it on Facebook. Like, hey, I'm listening. Check out this cool new song. And it's like if somebody's heard of it, and I'm like, dang it. Now I've got to find something else that makes me distinct from, you know. And so some of us can kind of do this thing where we MSUs, pop culture, where we have no. So if the first one we think it's actually bad for us, if in the second view we think it's a distraction, in this view we actually think it, we, we consume without thinking. You see that? So this one you're really not, these first you're not consuming pop culture much at all. But in this one you're sort of consuming without thinking about it at all. So you'll watch all kinds of HBO shows or Showtime shows and not think at all about what it could be doing to your heart. Or you'll listen to all kinds of, you know, so in other words, some of us have swung the pendulum. So if if we sort of became a Christian and, and went on this side where we didn't interact at all very much with pop culture... And then we understand that God, all truth is God's truth, and we kind of come back. Some of us swing to this side where we're kind of we're consuming so much, and not have, we don't have any kind of grid or criteria by which we sort of say maybe this isn't maybe I shouldn't watch that show because it does this to my heart, or maybe I shouldn't listen to that particular band because it's not good for my heart. But doing it in such a way where C.S. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis actually says part of the part of the problems though that makes us little Pharisees is as soon as we form a conviction, we want to apply it on everybody else. And this is what this was me with the secular music thing. Even if that was something that was good for me in my relationship with Jesus for those number of years, the problem with me was that I then made that the standard by which everyone else should obey. And this is where we mess up how we consume pop culture. Because something might not be good for me, but it's totally fine for you. Or something might be totally fine for you, but it's totally not good for my heart. And But this is, we were so immature in the ways we think about that, that we don't know how to do that very well. So those are sort of the first, that's kind of the three evangelical reactions. Well, now I want to talk about, this is more importantly, why do we even think that way? What's behind us thinking that way? And let's talk a little bit about theological reflections kind of behind that thinking. And there's a couple of them. 
In other words, we're sort of saying, if this is what we see, what are the roots beneath it? What are the roots behind it or underneath it? And here's the first that we think, and we often goes unchecked, is we have a wrong, we think about sin wrongly. We think that sin is a virus that can be caught. Instead of what Jesus says, it actually comes from within. So we think about sin as something out there that we sort of pick up from other places versus what Jesus says, that sin actually is in us. We were born with it in us, and it flows from within us. Which is why some of you know, this is the irony. Some of you, as we've talked over the years, I've gotten to know you. Some of the most ironic stories that as much as your parents did to shield you from the world... Your heart found like your heart found thing, you know, your heart found things that tempted you. Your desires still led you astray. As strict as strict, uh, you know, as strict as the filters your parents put on the computer, your sinful heart found a way around it. As strict as a uh, control as your parents put on the TVs, your sinful heart found friends that had no restrictions on TVs, right? And we, our heart is the problem, but sometimes we think wrongly that sin is like a virus that can be caught. This is what uh, one pastor says, I like a lot. He says, the constant An ever-present temptation in the church is the Gnostic temptation of locating sin in the stuff, sin in the matter, sin in the wealth, sin in the technology, instead of locating it where it belongs in the heart of man. That's, of course, what David said in Psalm 51, where he's talking about how he sinned with Bathsheba, and he says, listen, it was in my heart. I didn't sin against, against you and you alone, O God, that I sinned because I was born in sin. That's what Jesus says in Mark 7, that that sin flows from our hearts. It's not a virus that can be caught. It's something lodged within our hearts. But here's the second one. So that's one of these wrong sort of things that we think about sin. But here's something else that's sort of wrong and off that we believe, especially about truth. And it's this. It's that sometimes we wrongly believe that believers have a trademark on the truth. Instead of rightly believing believing that all truth is God's truth, therefore, wherever we find it, we're going to celebrate it. And wherever we find it, we're going to use it. And wherever we find it, we're going to lift it up. Instead of thinking like that, we think believers, only believers, have a trademark on it. This is why, this is why when you think you should only listen to Christian music, what's wrong about that is, number one, you're missing that there are some, there are some things off in Christian music. Like sometimes Christian music can way, can way over glorify marriage and what marriage is supposed to be. Sometimes, sometimes Christian music can way over glorify your sort of personal record of obedience with God. Uh, and sometimes we under-celebrate the good things that we find in other music, and especially secular music, right? Um, listen to the way that, that, um, that John Calvin said it. He says it the best. He says it like this. He said, if we regard the Spirit of God... Send your hand out. If we regard the Spirit of God as the sole fountain of truth, we shall neither reject the truth itself nor despise it wherever it shall appear, in whatever episode, whatever song... Whatever movie, unless we wish to dishonor the Spirit of God. For by holding the gifts of the Spirit in, in slight esteem, we contemn, we contemn and reproach the Spirit himself. As it is, much of the evangelical world is in serious danger of ingratitude to God for his good gifts. In other words, what Calvin is saying is we under-celebrate the truth wherever we find it. We should be as Christians, not thinking we have a trademark on the truth, but knowing that because all truth is God's truth, wherever we find it, in whatever form, we can celebrate it. We can interact with it. We can use it. We can promote it, right? Here's the third one. That the world, we wrongly think, that the world can be neatly separated into the sacred and secular. This is the one, if you grew up in the South, and most of you did, this is the one you've got to hear. Is that we wrongly believe that you can separate the world neatly into the sacred and the secular. 
Which, by the way, is why our parents had such a hard time of, we sort of knew this. They were one way on Sunday, but they had no idea how to be this person Monday through Saturday. Because part of the reason is we don't understand that there is no, the Bible makes no such, no such distinction between the sacred and the secular. All of life is sacred because all of life is lived under God. And like David said, there's nowhere we can go in this earth apart from God's presence. There's no place that we can go that's outside of, of God's sort of, of him being there, of him being part of it, right? That means everything we do is going to be, everything we do is going to be in light of our, our relationship with him. Everything we do is going to be, in, in, so to speak, in presence of him. Francis Schaeffer said, like, said it like this. He said, as evangelical Christians, we have tended to relegate art, especially, to the very fringe of life. The rest of human life we feel is more important. Despite our constant talk about the lordship of Christ, we have narrowed its scope to a very small area of reality. We have misunderstood the concept of the lordship of Christ over the whole of man and the whole of the universe and have not taken to us the riches that the Bible gives us for ourselves, for our lives, and for our culture. The arts and the sciences do have a place in the Christian life. They are not peripheral. For a Christian, redeemed by the work of Christ and living within the norms of Scripture and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says, the lordship of Christ should include an interest in the arts. A Christian should use these arts to the glory of God, not just as tracts, but as things of beauty to the praise of God. And artwork can be a doxology in itself. That's why Bach, when Bach was asked, like, why do you do what you do? This is fascinating to me because Bach was, by, you know, by his day, the most popular. He was Coldplay, right? Bach was Coldplay in his day. Or, you know, someone that you like. Like a hugely popular artist. But Bach would say the final, aim and, uh, the final aim of all music should be to the glory of God. And what Bach was saying was, not just doing this glorifies God, but when I play music, it glorifies God. This is Chariots of Fire. If you ever saw that movie, it's such a slow, slow movie. But it's worth Eric Little, that line, when he talks about when he runs. And he says, when I run, I feel the, glo- I feel the pleasure, the glory of God when I run. And he's saying me, the very act of me running fast brings glory to God. And part of what you and I have missed is we, like, we don't understand how this applies to the way we interact with, you know, with the arts in general. And we have to because we've got to get out of the, yeah, the, the distinction between the sacred and secular. secular. Uh, here's the fourth one. And this is big for a lot of us. Engaging the world is too messy. Engaging the world feels too, too messy. In other words, part of why we listen, if you, it's interesting, if you, if you grew up around Columbia, 89.7 WHK, like, you know, it's where, when I grew up in South Carolina, that's what my mom listened to. And what's fascinating is, you know, the way that they even frame it, is they sort of say, you don't want your kids listening to some music and they're going to hear some cuss word, or you don't want your kids, you know, listening to some music and they're going to hear some sort of sexual act. You want your kids to be safe when they're listening to the radio. Like, that's even the way that they frame it. And what I want to say, like, I had a friend growing up who actually requested, there was this band called Siler's Bald, and, and it had this, uh, the line in the song where they refer to themselves as a prostitute. And she requested the song to WMHK, and WMHK actually wouldn't play the song because they said that word is too offensive. And I want to be like, have you read the book of Hosea? Because that's pretty offensive. Like, it has Hosea at one point completely naked, blindfolded, with all of her wounds exposed, and people are, you know, people are bidding for her on the blocks and then in comes in comes this is gomer on the blocks and in comes hosea and god tells hosea to buy her back and it's this incredible scene but it's not it's not a tame scene a lot of times you and i want the lie that we believe this is the lie of christian music is that life is going to be easy 
And we think if I just follow Jesus, my life will be easier. And let me tell you, C.S. Lewis has this great point where he says, listen, if I wanted happiness, in coming to Jesus, he said, if I wanted happiness, I would have gone to a bottle of port. But if you want happiness, if you want comfort, I don't recommend Jesus. Because to follow Jesus is not going to make your life easier. It's going to make, it's going to make your life infinitely harder. Infinitely harder. Because you're going to, have to, you're going to be persecuted for him. You're not going to be, I mean, you're going to be seen as not cool for him. You're going to enter into, enter into suffering with him. And part of what we do, especially with the Christian thing, is we, we don't want that. We don't, that's not the kind of Christianity we want. We want a Christianity that is tame, that is sort of you know, toned down without all that. This is the way one of my favorite internet writers, Russell Moore, says this. He says, I know there are some who would tell you the way to avoid the problem is to do away with secular music. But what is secular music? Does the Bible anywhere command us to limit artistic expression only to spiritual things? There are songs and poems in the scripture itself that speak of things ranging from murder to marital sex to the beauty of nature and so forth. Moreover, the Christian music industry is often, I think, more damaging to children. This is fascinating. More damaging to children than some secular forms of musical expression. Much of what plays on commercial Christian radio presents an antiseptic view of life. And often, as well, a trivialized vision of Jesus and the gospel. Too often, what people want is not a more Christian vision of life but a happier, sanitized vision of life. These are the people who would think the Song of Solomon to be obscene if it weren't safely sequestered in the pages of the canon where they can't get to it. And they're the people who complain to the pastor that, this, that his David and Goliath message was too violent for little Connor's sensibilities. In other words, the Bible is way messier. It's what I love about the Bible, by the way. I love that the Bible doesn't sort of pretend like the world is as it should be. The Bible and Jesus himself, this is what we're going to celebrate coming in Christmas. We call it the incarnation. The, the, the Bible itself and Jesus himself enters into the brokenness and the messiness of the world. And if we're not engaging with art that does that, then we're not engaging, we're not engaging with good art. If we're not engaging with music that, that, that is really trying to deal with the brokenness and darkness of life, then we're not dealing with music that's glorifying to Jesus. Because he knows the world to be broken, which is why, by the way, he went to the cross. Jesus didn't skip through the world handing out candy and be like, come follow me, everybody. Jesus went to the cross to die for a broken world and a broken people like you and me. Um, it would have been a pretty incredible, just that image for Halloween. Um, just getting candy from Jesus, trick-or-treating with Jesus. Here's number three. This is the last point I want to make. is practical applications. This is where we get a little bit practical just in our, in our thinking about it. Just three things I want you to sort of wrestle as you think about those three things I want you to take and wrestle with. Here's the first. Uh, you should be wise and careful in what you engage. Part of what, part of what, I think most of you, if you're like me, are more on the side of you just consume things without thinking. And part of me wants to say you need to learn to be wise and, and actually have some sort of thinking about what you engage with. Uh, on the one hand, I want to say pop culture is not trivial. If you listen close enough, to any, from Miley Cyrus to any, you know, anything Justin Timberlake to anything Beyonce to any you know, latest movies, you're going to find echoes of something. You're going to find echoes of a longing for salvation. You're going to find echoes of a longing for a deeper meaning in life. Pop culture is anything but trivial. That's the mistake some of us as Christians make is we think because something is massively popular, there's nothing deep or there's no spiritual searching behind it. And I promise you, you can take any song and find some glimmer of spiritual searching because if we're made in the image of God, there's, that's going to enter into the equation. That's going to be part of the deal. Even if we're trying to avoid that as hard as we can, it's still going to be part of the deal. Uh, it's not trivial, but on the other hand, not all pop culture is equally worthy of 
dealing with. It's not equally worthy of sort of taking seriously, so to speak. No pop culture is, is trivial. And then, hand, not all pop culture is equally worthy of our attention. Um, I would way rather you watch something like Breaking Bad than I would you watch something like Two and a Half Men. Not because Two and a Half Men is a terrible show, although it's not my favorite, but because the point of the show is going to be something different than what the shows are wrestling with. In other words, I'd like, if there's a show that's more intentionally trying to wrestle with the broken world, go for that show. But that doesn't rule out then something like New Girl that's fun and, and can have insights into relationships, uh, but it's not necessarily as serious, so to speak. But this does, mean, um, this does mean that we have to think through our own hearts and how shows or how songs or bands affect our own hearts. You know, I had a friend uh, who, she said this to me, she said this to me three years ago. We were talking through this. She said, one of the things I learned about myself is I have a, a romance idol. And she said, one of the things I know about myself is I so, so desperately want a guy and I so, so desperately want to be married. So she said, one of the things that I noticed is I needed to stop at least for a season watching romantic comedies. Because every, every time I watched a romantic comedy, it would stir up my, the idolatry in my heart. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Because she wasn't saying, like, everybody, for Jesus, let's ban romantic comedies. Like, let's take romantic comedies down. Like, that was not her thing. She was saying, for my heart, where I am, this is bad for me. And part of what I'm saying is I don't know that we do that very well. Where we sort of think, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? I had another friend who, who sort of challenged me watching Breaking Bad. And I obviously haven't listened, but she said, she's like, Sammy, you're, you're drawn to shows that are dark. And part of why you're drawn to shows that are dark is because the danger is you love things that have no rays of hope. Because some, it's somewhere in seventh grade, Sammy thinks that's how the world works still. But the problem is seventh grade, Sammy eventually met Jesus who filled him with hope. And there is real hope in the world. So, like, we can't always just cry and watch dark, bad things. Like, we can sometimes because that's part of the world. But there's also hope. The resurrection changes the brokenness and the darkness, right? Um, so that's the first one is you've got to be wise and careful in what you engage. Second, you have to develop some sense of criteria and learn to think critically about what you engage. So you, you have to develop some sense of criteria. These are the things, this is the limit, the kind of shows I'm going to watch, the kind of music I'm going to listen to. But you also have to, as you engage those things, learn to think critically about them. Um, here are a couple of points in this that I think, what, what, how do we develop criteria? Here are two sort of things I think, for me, that have helped me, that entered into my grid. Here's the first, is that good pieces of pop culture work on the imagination. Um, this is why I would, rate, I would way rather my son watch Harry Potter than like Rugrats or, I don't know, you know, Transformers even. Because there's a story. And there's a story that, that like Harry Potter is going to be around in 30 years. Uh, you know, there's some shows that are in, you know, some cartoons that are not. They're, they're going to be done in five. And so there's part of me, or this is why, why has Lord of the Rings lasted for so long. Like why there are parents and then our generation and then generations to come still buy into that story because it works in the imagination. Um, this is what Bono said about the way that, that pop, good, pop, good pop culture works. He said this. He said, words and music did for me what solid, even rigorous, religious argument could never do. They introduced me to God, not belief in God, but more an experiential sense of God. And Bono sort of saying, this is, some, this is part of God's gift to us in good art, is it can give us an experience of God himself and the glory of God himself. Here's the second sort of criteria, is that good pop culture captures what life in a broken world feels like. Good pop culture captures what life in a fallen world feels like. That's why Walker Percy said, he says it best when he says, bad books lie. They lie most of all about the human condition. 
And we can say bad songs do the same thing, bad shows do the same thing, bad movies do the same thing. This is why I would say some movies like Facing the Giants, Fireproof, just to sort of kind of say, like, part of what doesn't work in these movies is it's not real life. And you and I know as we're watching it, like, this is not how, like, this is not how it goes. This is not what life in a broken world feels like. Which brings me to a sort of another piece that I want to say is that every, in every piece, this is how we learn to think critically, in every piece, and this is what blew my mind when I first started thinking about it, in every piece of pop culture, there's a mixture of grace and idolatry. So think about fireproof. There's idolatry and fireproof, and it's the idolatry of marriage and family. Because the Bible says the kingdom comes first, not marriage and family. Marriage and family are a huge part of the kingdom, so important. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Kingdom comes first in the Bible, which is why we talked about singleness and how singleness can be a real gift if you're here for that. And then what typically we do is we think fireproofs, Christians, safe, there's no idolatry here, there's only grace. So we don't think critically about it. And then we do with something like Lil Wayne, we think, Lil Wayne, here's what he stands for, it's all bad. Instead of entering into some of the, you know, some of the deeper parts of his music where he has these confessions, where he has these places where he's real about life and what life felt like for him growing up. And, uh, and we sort of, but you see what we're doing. Like, so what you got to learn to do is, I don't care if you watch Fireproof and love it, it's your favorite movie of all time. Fair enough. Or if like Lil Wayne's, you, you know, is your guy and like you only listen to him. What we have to learn to do is you have to learn to undermine the idolatry and underline the grace in both. Because there is stuff in both. There's stuff that we can rejoice in in both and there's stuff that we should reject in both. And that's typically not how we think about it. Um, and here's the third one. The third one is uh, to look for occasions, this is the most practical one, to look for occasions to enjoy and experience pop culture together with believing and unbelieving friends. One of the best things you could do is have a TV night and invite your, all your friends who are not at all involved with RUF and are not at all Christians and watch a show together. Some of my favorite moments in ministry is when we just had all kinds of students, some of them were RUF students, some of them were not at all RUF students, but we would watch Lost together. And we watched Lost for like two years toward the end, and then we hated each other when we... When we watched the finale because it was so bad. Um, and this is, you know, in other words, thinking about enjoying it together as actually a moment of grace. And this is what, uh, I'll close with this, this is what G.K. Chesterton said about it. And I'll close with this. He said, you say grace before meals, all right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera. And grace before the play and the pantomime. And grace before I open a book. And grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to give us wisdom as we think about just how you call us to live in the world and how you call us to live as those who belong to you and yet as those who enjoy uh, the good gifts that you've given to us. And Lord, we ask that you would do this and work in us in these ways. We pray in your name. Amen.